0: Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Well, welcome back to A Different Kind of Walk. We are thrilled this morning to get to chat with Nancy and Andy Mako, who are friends of Jeff's from his Accessibility Camino Walk but part of why we wanted to talk with them is because they have done the Camino three three times, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: um, I'll start by letting you introduce yourselves. Um, you know a little bit about your background. It's not the same, so you know where you grew up, how you met.
2: I'm Nancy, and my husband Andy, um, both born and raised in in New Jersey. Lived most of our lives in New Jersey, and and wound up going to uh, Rutgers together.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, we're, we were we met at a friend's uh, dinner party. And then the, then the stalking process started.
2: Yeah, the stalking process started. And I lived on campus and he commuted. And I left a, a note thanking him for taking me home that evening on, on a, his car in the commuter lot, which I later learned was not his car. It was someone else's car. And I had seen him coming out of class one day and I said, did you get my note? And he's like, no, didn't get your note. And I kind of figured out where his cl- I was a year behind, but I kind of figured out where his classes were. And I kind of made sure I was outside the door every time he came out. And it just took him a long time to figure out I was interested.
3: <laughs> so she was a stalker before it became, before a it became thing. popular. Uh, yeah. She's a trendsetter.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, well, we...
1: we- We men are pretty stupid a lot of the time, so I can go ahead and say that. (laughs) Yeah, I was oblivious.
2: But I guess that's where it all started, and and we're eventually married and and blessed to have two wonderful kids and now live in New Hampshire, where we we are retired.
3: Yeah, we retired about 10 years ago.
2: Yeah.
3: And so we're married 41 years. Okay. Are you on Mirror Lake? Am I
1: remembering that? We're on Crescent Lake. Crescent. So where is that from Winnipesaukee and Squam and Mir and
3: we, we feed Winnipesaki. Right. I like the dam on it that feeds into Winnipesaukee.
1: Okay. What are winters like up
3: around the lake? To be, to survive a winter up here, you have to like outdoor activities.
1: And we
2: do, you know, we you have
3: to like snow a little bit and um, we we try to break it up a little bit by getting away sometime in the middle of the winter just to get a little change of pace. So
1: what are you guys doing? Are you cross-country skiing and snowshoeing or downhill skiing or
3: we both cross-country ski yeah. and, and snowshoe. Um, I do some downhill skiing. Um, and I also in the winter do tax work for people. I do volunteer tax work. So that's oh, okay. kind of busy during, through the ARP. Okay.
2: And I um I do the you know, I also I like to cross country. I don't do the downhill thing, never never learned it early enough, not comfortable doing that, but I am part of a a mentoring program for at risk kids and i've I've got a young lady that I've been mentoring for the last three and a half years that that keeps me busy every week and and I truly enjoy being a part of that.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. so. Uh, I don't know how comfortable you are talking about this. Uh, where are you at in your spiritual journey uh, from New Jersey and now up to New Hampshire?
2: We are part of a, a wonderful little church up here. Um, I would say it's really non-denominational, um, where we we both sing on on the worship team and, and love the group of people here. It's a very warm and welcoming church. And, you know, we shopped around a bit. Um, you know, I grew up Catholic. Andy grew up Presbyterian. For me, it's been a long journey being raised Catholic and knowing that's not where I wanted to be. And I've always been on a back and forth journey with God, um, you know, and uh, I think I've finally at 65 started coming into my own and learning about being comfortable, more and more comfortable as much as I can with who the loving God is. Mm. Andy's journey has been a bit different than mine.
3: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the Presbyterian church. My parents were both Sunday school teachers, um, so that's all I ever knew for a long time. And we, when we got married, um, we tried to have a, a ceremony that would uh, bring both families together, Presbyterian and Catholic, but her priest wasn't very cooperative, so that didn't occur. Um, but then we we joined Presbyterian church, My co- series of Presbyterian churches, I right. guess, for the different places we lived in New Jersey. And, um, when you moved up here, there was, there are no Presbyterian churches. It's congregational right? Church, or reformed or non-denominational Christian like ours is. And so we felt most comfortable here. Okay. Um, that's how we got to where we are. Okay. Oh, good.
1: Um, You've had some interesting parts of your journey with uh your Catholic faith, Nancy. Yep. Then you end up walking a Catholic pilgrimage three times. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah.
2: because of Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so started.
1: what what drew you to the Camino that you walked that first one in 17?
3: A friend of mine who is Catholic. A uh, devout Catholic sent me, told me about the movie The Way and he said, Hey, I think you'd be interested in seeing this. So I watched it and I said to Nancy, we got to do this. This is just something that's calling out to me to do. And um, we did more research, and Nancy was somewhat reluctant to say the least to get involved in this idea. But my daughter latched onto it and she was graduating from college in 2016. And so the plan originally was that she and I were going to go do this and Nancy was not going to participate. And, um, so we had a plan, we we laid everything out, we were training. And then two weeks before we were supposed to leave, Nancy got diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And, um, so that, that changed a lot of things. And, um, I'll let her speak to what the treatment she had to do and all that.
2: Well, you know, luckily for me, it was caught very early. Um, and, and, you know, so now I am a six year breast cancer survivor. Um, so, you know, I felt horrible actually, you know, that they had to cancel their trip and and everything that had gone on. And so they were going to delay it a year. And, um, so my daughter, um, during that year, it had a uh, she had not been able to get a full time teaching job, so she was subbing at a school and had some flexibility to leave in May. And after going through that experience, I thought maybe I need to do this pilgrimage, maybe I need to be a part of this. And if you know anything about my personality at all, someone like me walking 500 miles with just a backpack, two days' worth of clothes, and not knowing where I'm going to stay at night is it was it was terrifying it was absolutely terrifying to think could i do this but i just felt the need to go with them
1: right all three of you walked Yeah, we did. 10, 17 oh good good how far out of treatment were you before you were able to start training to walk 500 miles
2: because i was diagnosed with stage 0 so very early My, I only needed um uh surgery and radiation, and it was four weeks of radiation, so I was well beyond treatment at that point and and had the clear, you know, um, I'm good to go.
1: Okay,
3: okay. And And you went in spring, we did, we left March 31st,
2: March 31st.
3: Yeah, Wow. so we hit all kinds of weather. I was
1: gonna say, weren't you cold? No, we, we had hit it all.
3: We had snow. We had hail. We had rain. We had blazing hot sun. Um, we had it all during that. period. Wow. But that first week, I wasn't sure if the crew was going to quit on me or not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what happened on the trail that first time? I mean, did you stay together the whole time and just chat with each other? Did you meet a lot of people <laughs> that time of year? How did that work?
3: Well, we we rarely walk together because Nancy doesn't walk the same pace as me or Carolyn. I stayed with Carolyn most of the time. She was the, generally the slowest, unless she had her earbuds in, then she was the fastest. Um, but most of the time, she and I hung together and Nancy was somewhere ahead of us. And the way Carolyn described it was kind of like walking your dog without a leash. The dog walks, runs ahead of you, and then every once in a while turns around to make sure you're still there and then keeps moving ahead. <laughs> Yeah, we
2: just checked to make sure they were behind me. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah, no, I totally get that, totally get that. So um, walking as a family, did you have that opportunity to, to meet others along the way at dinner and on the trail? Yep. And- oh, my
2: gosh, that's that's the Camino, right? That's the Camino family.
3: Um, yeah, we were somewhat unique, you're right, and that we were one of the few families we encountered. Most people were either couples and surprisingly to us, a lot of women walking by themselves, not necessarily single women, but women who had decided to do this on their own. And um, they'd become a natural pairing or, or grouping periodically. Um, but we saw quite a few people like that. And we were just surprised at how often that occurred. That was probably the most prevalent yeah, absolutely. group was women walking along by, themselves. by themselves or traveling by themselves. Yeah.
1: So I've had a number of questions about that from women and about safety. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to answer that question being a guy, but, um, I too met so many women that were walking on their own and I just didn't ever see anything that felt unsafe. No,
2: I agree 100%. And I'm always I'm always not sure about that. I'm always, you know, concerned about that. And I, I honestly can say, I never once felt uncomfortable walking or unsafe walking, not once. And I'm in a land where I don't really speak the language. I don't really know anyone else. And I, I never, I never once felt uncomfortable.
1: So, What was the journey like for you, Nancy, having the concern of carrying two days worth of clothes and not knowing where you were going to stay?
0: (laughs) You know,
2: um, having the two days worth of clothes was great. We we really studied that ahead of time and we really listened to carrying 10% of your body weight and not carrying more than that, and not carrying more than you need. And I think we hit that dead on. We really, we really did. We never had major injuries other than, you know, a few blisters. Um, we had enough. Um, I got tired of washing every day and, you know, hand washing stuff every day, but we had enough. That was never an issue. We never had too much. or We had exactly what we needed. I, I had the concern of not knowing where I was going to stay probably the whole trip in my head. I'm still hearing bed bug stories and things that are going on. And I'm wondering if that's going to be an issue. And, and we had arrived at one place, which was a Donativo place, which normally has 80 to a hundred beds. And up until that point we had stayed in small albergues, which were much more comfortable. And, and, and I kind of walked in and I'm looking around and I thought, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this, but there was nothing else available. And he's like, are you good? I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm good. I'm going to go take a shower. And I walked into the shower and I took a look around and I came out, walked out and said, we're not staying here, let's go. <laughs> so <laughs> that that still became somewhat of an issue of, for me. And um, I think from Saria on, we started pre-booking.
3: Okay, yeah. Well, so, you know, we get up at, whatever time they chased out of the albergue seven or seven o'clock or so we walked until about two or three most days did our laundry looked for some place for dinner and then went to bed early and, You know, it was kind of that routine and um but as the afternoon would go on if, if we didn't have a place already pre-selected that she had approved um <laughs> the tension would build in the afternoon you could sense it it was just this tension of where are we going to stay tonight and how right. bad is it going to be and um we had most of the places we stayed were pretty good. That was the worst instance where she walked out, but we did have another place that was, had limited um, options. And it was a place where you, the sleeping quarters were in one building and the yeah. bathrooms were in another building. And so in the, if you had to get up in the middle of the night, it was cold, you had to go outside and it was cold that night. Yeah.
1: So, Yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, all the albergues were very different. Yes, very much. So um, I mean, you just had no idea. And, you know, sometimes, there would be a line of five showers, and it was just people. It wasn't the women's side or the men's right. side or whatever. It right. was just, you know, you got behind the shower curtain there. But um uh, so I was fearful that I would not be able to make it to an albergue.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, so I brought a one-person tent. Oh, really okay. good about. Uh, not overpacking, but uh, Brian, who had given me his tent, showed me how to put it together, take it down, had me put it together, take it down. That was like two or three weeks before I left.
3: <laughs> you forgot.
1: Totally. Yeah, of course. <laughs> totally. Of course. Uh, the, what's the first big city you hit?
3: Burgos. After that Pamplona mm-hmm. in, in Burgos, we took a day off and that happened to be good Friday. Oh, wow. Fascinating time to be there because all the processionals were occurring with all the hooded folks, each different church or church sect was, had their own processional and they all had their own float. Some were a crucifixion, some were for Mary, um, some were other things that was just, some people were carrying the crosses on their shoulders through the streets. And they all had uh, instruments with them, usually drums and sometimes other instruments that were accompanying the processional. And they just were randomly processing throughout the town entire day, and into oh, the night. Wow.
2: For me, it was a little overwhelming. I, wow. <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure what I was what I was watching.
1: Were there various colored robes? Yes. Or, okay. How did that go throughout the day? Did it, did it stay? interesting disturbing or did it become something deeper as the day went on
2: eventually i think we got very comfortable with it and actually went to a service where they walked up to one of the i think it might have been the Burgers cathedral in the evening where they stopped and and did a service and and so you know i at that point we were much more comfortable with what was happening and what was going on
1: right yeah so but burgers for me, uh, was where I wept for the first time really hard uh, and not for any spiritual reason. It's because I found a Koryos uh, uh-huh. post office and I mailed the one-person tent that was only four and a half pounds. <laughs>
3: well, that's a lot, though. When you're
1: that's a ahead. lot. Back to the, okay, so you yeah, I mean, I cried because I put my backpack on and I was like, oh this feels so much better absolutely
2: four and a half and I, times I don't realize it is is a lot of extra weight
1: I gave the postal clerk a hug and thank you gracias gracias <laughs> so, I hope the people up behind me understood you know the emotion that was there a little bit maybe <laughs> so It was obviously an impactful experience because you went back. So what was the takeaway from that first trip?
2: Some peace, peace with where I was in my life. I think at that (coughs) point, you know, I've always been struggling with having that trust that there's someone watching over me and that that person is a loving God and not a vengeful God. Mm -hmm. So you know, again, me walking ahead of people all the time gave me some of that alone time. so, so for me it was maybe another level of peace in my life.
1: Uh, yeah, beautiful. How about for you, Andy, the first trip? You're uh, the one that was drawn to it
3: first? It was a movie. I think it was more about the, um, the experience and the chance to do this as a family was something I thought was really unbelievable and when we saw how few people did it that way we really felt extra special about that and um while you know I'm, and i was not catholic so i don't have some of the same issues and concerns that that i do that <laughs> it was it was interesting to see how people responded along the way to different aspects I, my father had died two, a year and a half before that right. And so there were different places along the way there where I thought about him. And he was a great walker, never a hiker per se. I don't know if he ever would have done this because he never left the country, <laughs> but, but something like this, I think he would have really enjoyed. And so I thought a lot about him during that whole
2: trip. And I, I loved him dearly because he was a fast walker. And whenever we walked, he was always walking with me. So Straight I can outdoors. understand why Andy would have that memory.
1: Right. So you had nothing to do with your life, (laughs) and we're stuck on this lake. It's cold. Yeah. Let's go to Portugal.
3: Yeah, I don't remember how the Portugal thing actually came about. This guy, Rob, the guy from England, it started
2: with you. Always.
3: Oh yeah. Well, I'm Uh, always looking for the next. Always
2: starts with Andy.
3: I'm always looking for the next thing to do. I'm very much into experiences. I'm trying to get. Nancy away from worldly possessions and into experiences, <laughs> and she's bought into the experience part, but hasn't given up on the worldly possessions. Um, so yeah, I probably said, "Oh, that was really great. Let's do this again." So then, within two years, I guess we started talking about Portugal. It was 19, It was two thousand nineteen, and we didn't. We decided not to start in Lisbon, which is the official start, um, because we had read that the Lisbon to Porto piece was fairly sparsely populated. You needed very long days. There weren't a lot of options for places to stay or eat. And I, I thought that would be a bad start to one of these trips that Nancy would be somewhat apprehensive about doing in the first place. Um, so we decided to start in Porto, but we made a vacation out of it. took a few days in Lisbon on sort of a plane tourist for three days. And then we took a train to Porto and then we walked from Porto to Santiago and then from Santiago to Musha and Finisterre.
2: There there was an also another reason I was very interested in going back because when we made it to Santiago and it may have been different because you you arrived um, for the feast day. um, We were so happy to be in Santiago and, you know, we we pretty much I think we almost ran to the square, my daughter and I anyway, and we got to the square And we're all looking around. I'm looking around. I see this big picture of the cathedral. And I'm sitting. I'm going, where is it? Where's the cathedral? Not realizing that they were restoring it. So we never saw the front of the cathedral the first time. (laughs) I know my daughter and I, we stood there and we looked up and we're like, really? A picture? We're looking at a picture? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if it was done when you had gotten there. Oh, No. And I, I didn't. We didn't realize that it was being restored that year, and and that was a little bit of a letdown at that point for us. That I could not see the cathedral from the outside. So, well, and
3: then so ironically, when we did the Portuguese version, we got there. The outside it was finished, but the interior was closed.
2: <laughs> so it couldn't go on because the, they were refurbishing the inside.
3: Well, getting ready for this season, this year, which was the
2: the jubilee the jubilee
3: year. year. Yeah. Hey, yep. So you had to go back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Nancy wasn't going to do another 500 miles. She wasn't going to do that. So this was a compromise to get, I think it was two and a quarter altogether, 150 to get to uh, Santiago and then another 75 to do the coast.
2: And I wasn't as worried about being able to do it. And I know that I was going to be physically able to do the 250 um, and we also booked this time with Camino Way so they booked all of our oh. accommodations. We weren't true pilgrims the second time around.
3: Yeah, okay. I think the perspective was I, I was a pilgrim once that was good enough That for was me. good.
2: And and certainly for me and I think for Andy as well that coast walk
3: was p- spectacular. Was
2: spectacular. And to think of the early pilgrims who did it and got to the end and thought this is the end of the world. There's nothing but water here and that was that was the special <clears throat> part of the Portuguese Camino for us.
1: So, that's not your last Camino.
2: No, and you can blame Andy for the third one as well.
1: Okay, <laughs> how did you how did you hear about it?
3: Well, I, I, I the Camino was a continued fascination to me, so I kept reading different things about it, and then I, I must have come across. I'll push you on a on a website at some point. So I, I read about Justin and Patrick, and said, "Boy, that's really amazing." It was amazing. Was an amazing story, and uh, what an inspiration!
2: Especially after having walked it. Knowing the terrain, knowing what it's like to think that anybody could do this, that two best friends could do this with one in a wheelchair was just unbelievable to both of us.
1: So you read the book, you watched the movie. When did you hear about the accessibility trip and, and when did you sign up?
3: Right. Now, we were probably one of the last people to sign up. Something it came went on the web. Something triggered it. It popped in front of me. And I said, Hey, Nance, these guys are doing trips. Well, they're this... doing one in June. And they're doing one in June. I think we should do this.
2: And I just kind of said, Okay. And
3: she, she's like, Well, maybe next year.
2: Yeah. May, and maybe he'll forget about it. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Okay, well, this is a whole different thing. So I'm just thinking he's going to forget about it.
3: So I emailed Justin and Patrick and said, Hey, we're interested in doing this. So they came back and said um, they had a couple openings left in the, this past June. So we talked about it and she was pushing on, let's, let's, let's wait till next year. And I, my reaction was that's another year older. This is not, we're not getting any younger. We don't know what pushing a wheelchair away means. So let's, let's do this while we know we're more confident we can do this. And so they got us in.
2: I think my, my fear was I'm there to help. I want to help. I don't know if I can push a wheelchair 70 miles and And what if I can't, then I'm disappointing someone else, whether it be a helper or that captain, I I can't do my part. And, and I was, I was really nervous. I was excited about doing this. I wanted to do it. And at the same time, very nervous Mm. about whether I would be able to fulfill that obligation that I so wanted to do.
3: Right. When we did that first Zoom call, we first time we saw a lot of the people. Boy, we look a lot older than most of them. Yeah,
2: I, we both <laughs> said, "I think we're the oldest one in this group."
3: Yeah, we, we may not have. We were very close if we weren't the oldest. But so that that was for me it was the same thing as I as we were training for this particular trip. I think I trained more for this trip than I did for the other two, just because of that concern that Nancy expressed about other people depending on us and will we be able to do and it? We'll be able to do it. And this. we're five years older than we were when we did the right. first one, you know. Yep.
0: So what is one memory from the Accessibility Camino that stands out
2: to you most?
3: <laughs> the Creek for us was one of the, with Vicky. For especially. For me, it
2: was one of the most impactful moments because, you know, as you know, you were carried over, um, um, Amy, uh, Aaron carried Amy over as well. And, and, and Vicki, I don't think was as comfortable being carried. And it was, how are we going to get Vicky over And we had built the human bridge on either side of her. And I was behind, I don't remember at the exact moment where Andy was, but but we were trying to (coughs) shuffle her across that bridge. And at one point, you know, we weren't sure we were going to be able to get all the way across. And I remember Patrick turning around and looking at me and saying, I think we need to let her fall back and we'll catch her and hold her. And I remember looking up thinking, okay, I, we can do that. I need more strength. I need more arms. And all of these people, including Andy came behind us and Patrick looked at Vicki and said, Vicki fall back. (laughs) And she did. And I, in that moment, I remember this so clearly I thought the courage and the trust to fall back and know that these people were going to catch you
1: Mm.
2: and not let you fall in that mud or get hurt. And then at that moment, the immediate next thought that ran through my head was, let go and let God. Mm. And I thought of all the times in my life that I haven't been able to let go and trust that those arms were gonna be there to catch me. And I felt like someone was saying, this is trust, this is faith, and those arms are always there. Mm. That was so impactful for me. I don't think Vicki knows how impactful that moment was for me. Right. I don't think it's something I will ever forget. When I saw this group come together and for her to take that leap of faith and say, I'm just going to let go and trust that these arms are going to catch me. Yeah. be safe," it was one of the most impactful memories I have from.
1: That's me. beautiful. didn't really know we're, we're calling it a bridge, but really it was. It really was rocks.
2: It was a rock,
1: it was a series of stones that were yeah. so sort of connected. As you're hearing this, don't don't think of a bridge crossing a stream. It was rocks that were built up, right? With well, no railing,
2: right? And it was pure mud on either side. So right. you know we we didn't really want to try to push that wheelchair through mud. The mud at that point, and and um you know so you know, the, the way that this group just came together and did whatever was necessary to get everybody across as safely as possible.
3: And there were at least four different approaches. Right, that were taken. Among the six people. Three were carried. One was what we did with Vicky. Um, Justin was carried too, but he was carried in his wheelchair.
2: Right, somehow and across. Donna, and Donna, you know, of course,
3: made just her own way. saying,
2: I'm going my own way mm-hmm. and I'm going to yep. do this.
3: Yeah, so it was interesting to see how each group we let each captain decide how they wanted how they to wanted to goes. do
2: it.
1: How about a, kind of a last takeaway for you, Andy, of this accessibility experience?
3: Yeah, we went into this with a whole different purpose. We went into this, not to experience the Camino like some other folks probably did, who had never done it before. We went in there to help people. That was our principal goal. And we were impressed by how the group came together, um, a group of strangers who all had a similar goal for the most part, we're trying to, our goal was to help the captains ex- go through this experience, you know, in a, without getting hurt or um, and, and enjoying the process. And um, so we, we felt that that was just so liberating to be able to help people like that. I think we also had a greater appreciation for what Patrick and Justin had done on their journey mm. years earlier, and also had a much greater appreciation for what, people in your situation have to deal with day-to-day. You know, the hotels were not accessible. The bathrooms were not accessible. The trails were harder, much harder in a wheelchair than they were walking. Sure. And there were just so many things that we take for granted that um, just opened our eyes, I think, to a lot of different things that we had never thought about as much as, and it was right in front of you the whole time we were there together. Right, right.
2: You know, the other thing for me, what I found so amazing is that all of you captains? None of you let that chair define who you are. You're living your best life in spite of the chair. Um, and that was very impactful to me. You are all very different. You are all, you know, have different personalities and, and are all in your chairs for a very different reason, but that's not who you are. And you're all doing some beautiful and wonderful things with your life. That was also
3: very impactful to me. We, we talk about that frequently to people and talk about how each of the captains had a special set of challenges that they had to deal with and how they all overcame them and dealt with, or dealt with them as best they could. And All along the way, the captains were all thanking us for helping them, but we were getting as much or more out of it than what you were getting out of it, I think. And when we got to Santiago, we didn't have the same exhilaration of, oh, we got to Santiago that other people had. Our joy was in watching the experience of other people and the joy they were feeling from having accomplished something they perhaps never thought they could do. Right.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Nancy and Andy, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Susan is gonna close us up a bit because we're at time. I'm Are you tired of listening to us. <laughs>
0: oh, I'm not tired. It's just we have gone over our time, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but I we
1: don't have to be respectful of their time. They just hang out on the lake all day.
3: We're <laughs> just retired. Yeah.
0: So no, I don't have any questions for you, but I do have uh, one thing to tell you about. Since I know you like cross country skiing and since I know that you like adventures, have you heard of the American Birkebiner? No, no. it is a cross country ski race in Wisconsin. It's a forty k ski race. It's essentially it's kind of like a reenactment because where what it comes from is There was a power struggle in Norway for the throne and um, the baby prince uh, needed to be protected and so someone chose the fastest cross country skier and the strongest cross country skier and gave them this little baby and they skied. Like I think across the border to somewhere else in order to protect this baby because of the unrest that was happening, and the people who were protecting this baby were so poor that they made their shoes out of birch bark.
1: Oh, so, oh wow! Uh,
0: so they were named the Birkebiners. Um oh, really cool. which they, they adopted after that. Were like, yeah. And then they took that as like a symbol of power and called themselves that afterward. Oh. And so. Every year in Wisconsin, they do a 40K ski race to commemorate this thing. I've done it before. Part of what reminded me of it was there's a hill.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you go down the hill?
0: Uh, The other side of it. Um, (laughs) But you're essentially like a herringbone, like straight. You feel like you're going straight up. Yep. And it's so, so hard, but so joyous when you get to the top. So, yeah, if you're interested in anything like that, you should go check it out. <laughs> How, do you spell
1: that? How do you spell that for them?
0: It's Biner. So B-I-R-K-E-B-E-I-N-E-R. And you can actually find out about the race at Berkey.com. That's B-I-R-K-I-E.com. So, yeah.
1: How many um, days of lodging are there on that race? Uh,
2: zero. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was my assumption. <laughs>
2: yeah, I figured it was a
0: one-day kind of thing. So. Yes, yeah, for sure. Well, again, thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. I hope you all have a great day. Yeah. Love
2: all you, right. guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for lot. here. Thank you.
1: Susan. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live
1: well.